started out. So our speaker today is somebody I've been following for a number of years as he's written every his, his evolving project on French restaurants in Chicago. Yes. Um, well, some of us are from LTH Forum, so every once in a while we'd be treated to the latest update. <laughs> and about a year ago was the conclusion. Yes. And so we've been talking for a year about you coming. So you see, sometimes it happens. That's right. All right, so Alain Mace. Alain Mace. <laughs> I'm telling you, my French you just have does no not... Idea, you have no idea how much uh, Spanish literature I get in my mailbox every day because everybody <laughs> thinks I'm Mexican. Okay, so then, okay, so my errors are not so bad. Uh, no, it's perfect. I'm very flexible. Okay, terrific. <coughs> All right, here's our speaker today. Okay, so... <laughs> thank, thank you, Kathy. Uh, my name is Alamas, and uh, nobody pronounced it that way, so it doesn't move... It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, I've, been, I've been used to any kind of pronunciation that you can think of. Most people call me Alan, but it's spelled A-L-A-I-N. So, and Mas is not a Mexican name. It's a, it's a typically Belgian name. My grandfather was Belgian. And uh, it's a very, very common name. One of the, Rembrandt's the famous painter, one of his uh, most famous, uh, Students was Nicolas Mas and was built exactly the same way. Anyway, uh, for your information, I've been in Chicago, for, uh, even though I still have these strange accents. I've been in Chicago for 49 years, and uh, even perhaps uh, as long in France or more. And uh, as she said, uh, uh, my uh, subject is. Uh, uh, French restaurant in Chicago was 70 year, 75 year retrospective from 1924 to 1999. So my purpose today, because when you print it, it's 183 pages. So I've been trying to, this week, to uh, extract a few things to give you an idea of what it's all about. And the best way for you, because I'm not going to, kill you with details about each restaurant. If you go on my blog, which is uh, French Virtual Cafe, uh, if you go to Google and, and, and type French Virtual Cafe, you go directly to it and you have the whole thing, uh, all the information about each restaurant, all the dates, everything. So I will not kill you with so many details. My purpose today is to show you the evolution of uh, um, uh, Chicagoans towards eating French or not eating French. Okay, so uh, let me uh, tell you first a few things which are really personal, but they will help you to understand why I decided to write a 75-year history of French restaurant in Chicago. Uh, I have to tell you that my, my whole family is, uh, we all eat, drink, wine, and cook. And our passion is to go to restaurants. When uh, 
when we get together in Paris or anywhere, I call them, everybody call each other, my brother, my and we decide where, what restaurant are we going to meet. That's the number one priority when I go to France. So it gives you an idea. So since I was a little kid, food was really a daily preoccupation. Why? Because I was born, uh, I will not tell you when, but it was a long time ago, uh, in a small town in southern France. And uh, when the war came, uh, the first two, three years were okay. But then the food was really a problem, especially the last part of the war. I remember that uh, when I, we went to the only baker, not too close from where we live, the, uh, the bread was yellow because it was made for, from cow, corn, but not the corn that we have here, the corn that you give to the, the, the cattle, you know. It, so you have to soak it in, in what warm weather if you wanted to eat it, you know. And uh, it, it was really terrible. Uh, so uh, the, uh, during the, the, uh, the, the war, I'll tell you that because it's important. In 1941, my family decided uh, that my grandparents in Geneva, Switzerland, because my mother is Swiss, should know me. And so they took me, it was a long train trip, to visit my grandparents and aunts, etc., in Geneva, Switzerland. And when it was time for them to go back, they persuaded my parents. They said, oh, you know, the war is not going to last. Why don't you leave the kid here? Because you will have enough to eat and will be safe, safe etc. And I was their firstborn. They were not very enthusiastic about this idea, but they left me in Geneva with my grandparents and my aunts, etc. That was in 41. They said, in a couple of months, we get you back. The result is that I went back to France and to my family only in the winter 1943. And I still remember today the details of the trip back. It was terrible. So uh, uh, my, uh, what is funny in some way is that my father, who practically didn't know me, had to find me in a triage center uh, in Lyon, France, uh, in the, during the winter of 1943, and we were uh, watched very carefully. We had maybe 100 kids uh, by the, uh, you know, the Gestapo, all these people, they would make sure there was nothing funny there. And uh, he find me because I had a, a big card, uh, a badge on, with my name. That's the way he found me. And you would never guess the first thing I told him. I didn't say, hi, Dad, I'm happy to see you, or whatever. I said very fast, sir, how did you find the steak? <laughs> but, but by turning over a french fry. And he couldn't believe it. All his life, until he died, he would tell everybody this story, that his first contact with me was about food and about a restaurant. <laughs> Why did I say that? Because in Geneva, there was a, a, a newspaper called The Tribune, and uh, they had cartoons, like we have here. And there was this one where you could see the waiter, uh, you know, next to the table and saying to the customer, 
so how do you find the steak? And he said, well, <laughs> by turning a, a fry over, it was, everything was so small and so difficult, the food was so scarce, you know. It was an example of what the, but he will never forget that, that my first. And the second thing which is related to this period is that while I was in, in uh, Geneva, we had, uh, my family had a very little uh, cottage in the, the countryside. And on the weekend, everybody got together. And in those days, everybody brought some food. And that was the time of my week. And guess what? The favorite food that I waited every week. It was canned corned beef from Armour. <laughs> 1942, that's when I discovered corned beef farm. And my family, which couldn't remember how to spell and how to call this, this product, they called that the Chicago. <laughs> so every two weeks, I ate Chicago. <laughs> and we kept calling that Chicago in the family. And I couldn't wait. I said, I wish I could go to Chicago once. <laughs> In 1943, I had no idea that one day I would find myself here and eat, but I never, since I arrived, I never eat corned beef in a can. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, uh, the small city where I lived in southern France, which is called saint hippolyte de four only about 4,000 inhabitants, was totally surrounded by vineyards, produced a terrible wine in those days, olive trees, chestnut trees, and mulberry trees. Why? Because it was one of the capital of, you know that the, uh, the silk is made, the natural silk is made from cocoons, from the larvae, which is called the, uh, the silkworm, you know. And uh, the city where I grew up when I was a kid, everybody was taking care of uh, those uh, silkworm in the mulberry uh, trees. Uh, and uh, at that, 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 that time, you know, when I came back in 43, it was, it was very, very tough uh, to find things to eat. But in 46 and 47, and I still remember, there were some strikes after the, at the end of the war. But at the same time, we started to receive from time to time case uh, care packages. The problem is that those packages that my mother waited for, you know, sometimes they've been parachuted or something. And my mother, when I was six, gave me as an assignment to separate the rice which had spilled over the cocoa powder and I could never, never accept the idea of eating rice, uh, which was not even pudding, it was cocoa-tasting cocoa rice. That's all weird. Anyway, that, those are the little details. Anyway, in Geneva also, uh, I started to be interested, uh, by, I've been fascinated by food all my life, but at that time, I spent hours at the, at the window because my grandparents were facing a famous restaurant 
called Francis, Chez Francis, which was specializing in uh, steak frites, steak and fries. And the fries, they brought them on a little uh, uh, warmer uh, device, you know, which keep, and you could have as, as an, but I had to wait until I was 15 or 16 to experiment that because during the war, nobody took me to a restaurant. So, anyway, uh, the, uh, in Saint-Hippolyte, an, another experience for me was that we had a butcher friend who uh, managed to obtain from my parents to kill a pig in our garden I, with all the processes. So it was the first time, and I was, what, f six, that I discovered what a innards of a pig were and uh, what it is to kill a pig and to, uh, you know, organize the uh, processing of it. Ooh, for some reason, pork became my favorite food. I don't know for a while. Anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the other things which is related to restaurant when I was very young is about two blocks from my house, there was a restaurant called Le Luxembourg. Luxembourg. Why in a little town in southern France a restaurant would be called the Luxembourg where probably none of the people there had never heard what, who it, where it was and whatever, I have no idea. But I was dreaming in 46 and 47 that somebody would take me there. It never happened. We left for Reims, which is the capital of the Champagne district, in 58, and I've never been to the Luxembourg restaurant. So that was very frustrated, and many years later, I went to visit at, my, at this, little, uh, this little town. I couldn't find a single person who remembered this restaurant. So I was very disappointed. So in 50, uh, 58, we moved to, to Reims in the capital of Champagne, and my life changed because we finally had good food and wine and lots of champagne, of course. At that time, I was still young, I was 16 or whatever. But uh, I remember that my, my mother, who was a very good cook, was the first person in the whole city of Reims, 150,000 people in at the time, to have a pressure cooker made in Switzerland. And she was making incredible meal that everybody was talking about in a pressure cooker. So she told me when I was 13 or 14 to cook and to use a pressure cooker. So, and I still do that from time to time. Um, so, all this to tell you that uh, when I was very, very young, I already had not only a fascination for food, but also for restaurants. Uh, my father, by the way, uh, educated me with wine because he, he was an expert in this and uh, he left me with, uh, I've been for 10 years a wine consultant, he left me, he left me with this kind of gift. Uh, so uh, in 59, I moved to Nîmes, which is a city, uh, north of Marseille, a Roman city, 
and uh, uh, then in Aix-en-Provence, which is where I went to the university. And then, and then my life changed completely because I had a job when I was a student, I was lucky. It means that I could go to restaurants. <laughs> and at least two or three times a week, I would go to restaurants. And uh, I, sometimes I went to the school cafeteria, I mean to the university cafeteria, but I tried to avoid it, except when they had brains. Because I liked brains in butter, and I was sometimes at a table where there were Muslim students, they wouldn't touch it. So I, once I ate seven of them, <laughs> and they couldn't believe it. Anyway, at one, at one day at this uh, uh, university cafeteria, I saw a girl, and uh, I saw a girl, I said, oh, I like this girl. She should be my wife. I was a student at that. So I did everything to meet her. And uh, I, we started to go out. And I took her to restaurants and taught her the secrets of French eating in restaurants. She was from Racine, Wisconsin. <laughs> and her uh, experience of liquor, and that she had been to Northwestern, her experience of liquor was limited to beer, and that's it. And when she told me what beer she was drinking, uh, she said, you wouldn't like it. So I, I told her about wine, about rosé wine, about Provence wine, and she became in love with the wine and with me. And, and today, she's still my wife. <laughs> it's not my fault. Uh, so uh, she, uh, she uh, went to, uh, to the same university on a Fulbright, you know, and uh, so I, I, I educated her on everything, food and wine, and uh, she, uh, she became practically, she was speaking French fluently at that time, and uh, so uh, we, uh, uh, she went to a, a class for Provencal cooking, and she uh, became addicted to restaurants that I was, and uh, she still is. And uh, uh, we, uh, we developed a love for Provencal cooking when we were in Provence, and she became an expert on this, uh, and uh, we still cook Provencal dishes very often here, at least once a week. Uh, so, as you can see, uh, they are, it's not an academic interest for me, the uh, restaurants, food, whatever. It's really linked to uh, my personal life. My wife, it's interesting. She, could, she didn't know anything about cooking. Uh, and, but the only, thing, the only book that she brought in a, a suitcase with her in 68 from Racine was Julia Child, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which just came out. And uh, she never, we never used it in France. She lived 
in France with, for 10 years with me. But uh, she started to use it about 20 years ago, when we in Chicago, this book. Um, and that's when we start the active part of going to restaurants in Chicago, French restaurants. So I went to Racine in 1968 during, it was the month during the Democratic Convention. And uh, I have to admit, and I hope that nobody is from Racine and gonna hate me, uh, my experiences with the local eateries was not entirely convincing. Uh, in 68, it was essentially steak, for me most of the time overcooked, burgers, most of the time overcooked, hot dogs, uh, milkshakes, uh, terrible dressings on iceberg salad. They call that French dressing. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I never, I never seen something so creamy and sweet in France. And uh, uh, the, what was the worst is that I had to swallow up all this food without wine. <laughs> so my mother-in-law said, okay, I'm gonna take care of that. And she took me to the, her local pharmacist in Racine who said, oh yes, I have good red wine. So my, for the rest of my staying in Racine, uh, my diet was what I described, plus Paul Masson, Christian Brothers, uh, and a terrible rosé called Lancers. I will never forget that. Never. Anyway. Uh, so I, uh, we moved to Chicago for good in 1970, in January, and believe me, what we recently uh, reminded me of the month we arrived here, it was so cold. I didn't have a coat, I never had a coat. So at that time I didn't speak English, and I was looking for a job. So I would go to uh, companies, and I appear in the lobby of the company or in the, uh, uh, at the uh, uh, receptionist station and she would see a Christmas, a walking Christmas tree because I was covered with snow and I had no coat. And she was really, really wondering if I, she had, uh, if, if I was a loony or whatever. <laughs> anyway. I, I was lucky, I found rapidly a very good uh, job in Chicago uh, for a big publisher, uh, but uh, working with French programs. So. What I wanted to tell you also is that at that time, uh, I, the first two months when I came here, I tried to find French products not because I thought it was superior to what I found at my local grocery store, but because I liked them better. And we liked, we still, 50 years later, 49 years later, we still cook French in Chicago, which is surprising. But, uh, and so we had, I was really trying to find suppliers of good product and, and, and of French restaurants. 
But what I didn't tell you, and it's amusing, uh, my first experience of a French restaurant in Chicago was in 68 when I came to visit. My brother-in-law who worked in, in, in live in, live in Evanston, uh, work in Chicago, said, I'm going to take you to a French restaurant for lunch. So I took the L from Evanston. I remember it was an old wooden city uh, uh, car. I didn't know they still exist. And it, I said, oh, good. I'm going to have some French food. And he took me to Jacques French restaurant on, on Michigan Avenue. It was absolutely char charming. But uh, he insisted to tell the maitre d' that I was French. So the guy came to our table and started to make a big number. Uh, Très bien. Oui, oui. It, that's all he could say in French. But he helped us to choose and I found myself with some uh, radishes, which were, I don't know when, uh, with a sweet sauce, uh, overcooked salmon. Uh, I mean, it was really one of the worst meal I ever had. <laughs> and uh, of course, the creamy French dressing on the iceberg lettuce. And uh, as always in those days, the first thing he said, he said, coffee. And I said to my brother, no coffee, that's for after dinner. He said, yes, but here people, for lunch, they, they drink coffee with their lunch. I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, could I have a glass of wine? Oh, he said, sure. So he called him and I got a glass of Cavani Sauvignon of I don't know where. But I didn't finish it, and I asked for a Budweiser because it was the only way to survive. <laughs> and uh, really, uh, I, I had a, not a very. It was a beautiful place, but it was I don't know what they called that a French restaurant because in those days it was not. I'll tell you back a little bit more about French restaurant that in in the in my on my blog you find a whole story historical about the origin of French restaurant, of Jacques, and uh, it's interesting because it was originally found, it was founded by a guy from Monaco. His name was Jacques Fumagali. His uh, father had a big hotel in Monaco, and this guy was the maitre d' of one of the best restaurants, French restaurants in the 20s called uh, One 80 uh, uh, West Adam. Uh, uh, I, have to, I have to check back the exact address. It was on Adam. It, it was very close to what is the Janai, where the Janai Kong is nowadays. And uh, he was the metro, and uh, he's, he's the one who transferred, who bought the license for Jacques Restaurant. <laughs> And made, and made it a real French restaurant at the time. Later on, it was acquired by a gentleman called Ray Castro, who had a mini empire of restaurants, which he tried to make believe that they were French, but they were not. And uh, that, anyway, uh, so uh, when, uh, when, uh, 
I, I, uh, I brought lots of books about an article in, in English about French food and restaurants. I watched lots of TV uh, and I became a big fan of Jacques Pépin and Julia Child, of course. But progressively, I became, uh, uh, when Chicago became a destination for foodies and attracted a great number of uh, chefs, I noticed that very few books were actually focusing on fresh restaurants in Chicago. And so in 2006, when I retired, I decided to do some research on French restaurants in Chicago. Most people I knew in the profession and asked them questions and uh, took notes. And later on, I investigated a little farther by going through the archives of local newspaper and read hundreds and hundreds of restaurant reviews. In the, in the meantime, I created my blog, which is called the French Virtual Café, and uh, I documented pieces on French food, wine, restaurant, both in France and, and Chicago. And this long process leading to what I'm describing to you today was launched. It took me several years to finish it, but today it's the first time I talk about it in public. So you're my first uh, interlocutors, I would say. Uh, I, I will not kill you with figures and details uh, on all the restaurants which uh, you find in, in, the, uh, in the work. So I will mention some restaurant, uh, detail only a few which are very important, and otherwise we're going to move on the chronological evolution of how Chicagoans uh, adjusted to uh, French restaurants and then non-French restaurants. It's an interesting evolution. Yes, uh, when, I, when we, I came to Chicago in 1968, uh, my brother-in-law didn't know anything about French restaurants except for Jacques. He didn't know that there was already Jovan, Le Bordeaux, Le Scargo, and La Chaumière. He probably never heard of them, so... Uh, at the time, what, what I'm, I was surprised about when I did my research is that the time of the World Exposition in 1893, uh, I would have guessed that because of the international exposure and the flavor that would attract, it would attract French restaurants, in Chicago for the uh, World Exposition, but I looked really hard. There was not a single French eating place at the World Exposition of 1893, not a single one. There was a big booth for the Meunier, Meunier uh, chocolates from France, and that was it. Uh, so I started to look way back and I find out that in 1807, on Adam Street, on five floors, there was a big French restaurant called Doussaint, D-O-U-S-S-A-N-G. And uh, uh, I'm sure that you, many, many times in the past, you have heard about the Shrimp de Jong, the, the De Jong restaurant in 1891, which was created by Barbara de Jong, a Belgian lady. Uh, 
was very successful as a French restaurant. And what's interesting, uh, beside the shrimp, is that she had the idea of importing escargot, I mean snails, from Burgundy in France on ice by, by boat. And uh, she didn't know if it would work, but it worked. They become so popular that by 1901, she was selling five millions of snails, not only in Chicago, but also in New York and in San Francisco. It, it's a, it was a big, big business. So what was an eye-opener uh, opener for me was uh, reading a book called Dining in Chicago, which was published in 1931 by uh, Mr. John Drury, who was a journalist. And it's a fantastic book. It really opened my eyes on uh, what used to be the French restaurant scenes uh, very early on. Uh, I discovered that, in fact, several French authentic restaurants have been very successful and very popular between 1928 and, uh, and 19, I would say, when did the prohibition started? 33, something like this. And uh, I'll give you the name of some of them. They are quite detailed in my blog. Julien was one, Chez Louis, 180 East Delaware, the one I mentioned, uh, I said it was a mistake on my part. It was not Adams, it was uh, East Delaware, close to the what is today the John Hancock. The Bon Vivant, Leglon. Leglon is the only one who survived until the 50s. It was a huge, uh, huge uh, stone beautiful uh, uh, building. Malade, which was a subsidiary of a, a chain of restaurants in New York, which was organizing banquets, and it was very, very popular. Chez Doré, and one was very special, Villa Venice, which was in the northern suburbs, and it was at the same time a dancing place. And on weekend, it, it attracted lots of uh, couples dating. And uh, uh, Bad Mouth said that, in fact, it was also a place of meeting for what I would call the, the gentleman from the, uh, uh, from the, uh, how do you say that politely nowadays? From the mob? I don't know. That they would, they, they, they would, they would congregate at the Villa Venice. But also the Café Francais, the new college inn, all these were real French restaurants. And they were all uh, in business and good business between the early 20s and the early 30s. Uh, there is not much which happened between 1939 and 1999. There are several factors for that. The wars, of course, world and Korean War. The arrival, the arrival of new immigrants, which had different tra eating tradition, uh, congregated in from new neighborhoods, and uh, they had to, uh, a tendency to, there was also a tendency to eat American. The war, uh, the wars had generated a sort of a even patriotic feeling about American food in the general public. Uh, there is only one authentic French restaurant that I can mention in those days. It was the Café de Paris. 
Le Café de Paris was launched on North Dearborn in 1941, and the fam famous uh, French chef was Henri Charpentier. Henri Charpentier, uh, in 1941, uh, he is the one who created the duckling Belasco, which was flavored with Grand Marnier and Cointreau sauce. But he also claimed to have invented, purely by chance, the crêpe Suzette when he was an apprentice at the Café de Paris in Monte Carlo in 1885. Years later, the Café de Paris in Chicago was again acquired by Ray Castro in 52. Americans, even though a large majority of them continue to eat all Americans, American food at home and dinners, started to be influenced by the media that showed on TV uh, and in magazine the life of the White House and the Kennedys. Everybody in the US at that time were following the taste of Jackie's. And uh, as you know, her maiden name was Bouvier. She came from a very uh, fancy uh, French family. And uh, they, she loved French food. She had a French chef. And uh, that uh, had a great influence on certain uh, American uh, housewife. I shouldn't say housewife, it has a bad connotation now. Uh, she, had a, she had a great influence on, on, on the people who cooked uh, meals here. And uh, uh, the, uh, this interest for French food was reinforced when Julia Child, uh, in 1963, started her series on WGBH in Boston. It was, it was seen at that time on WTTW in Chicago. Suddenly, there are many women, especially those who are wealthy, educated, and well-connected, Francophiles, who had been in France uh, on vacation or even had sometimes a summer vacation spot there. They were pushing to create French restaurant in Chicago. Such was the case with Nancy Goldberg. Nancy Goldberg was the wife of Bertrand Goldberg, the architect of the Marina Towers. Uh, she decided to create a replica without the dome, of course, of Maxime de Paris. It was a luxurious restaurant which opened on North Astor in December of 1963. And Monsieur Vaudable, who was the general manager of uh, the Paris establishment, came to supervise and while for a while he managed the restaurants, uh, which was eventually sold to Pierre Cardin, by the way, in 1981. And Monsieur Baudable had brought from France a whole team of cooks, waiters, sommeliers. Several of them had worked for several months or years at the Maxims of Paris. It was the beginning of a new trend and a new a mini exodus, if I could say so, of restaurant professionals from France to work in Chicago. And in fact, many, I would say at least maybe three or four of them are still in activity in Chicago, uh, like uh, Georges Cuisance, the owner of Kiki's Bistro. He started, he was part of this uh, convoy who came to Chicago 
for the uh, opening of the writs of the uh, 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 maxims. Uh, so many of those people decided to stay in Chicago when Maxims had problems, and so many change of staff that they created. They decided to go out of this and create their own restaurants. Uh, Georges Guizant, at that time, he created Le Bordeaux uh, at uh, three uh, Southwest West Madison in '69. And the Bordeaux lasted until 1989 for 20 years. And he then uh, created in 1980 uh, Kiki's Bistro, which is still very popular too today. And the guy is 85 years old. Uh, it was the beginning of a new trend. And a mini exodus of restaurant professional who came from France to work in Chicago, as I said. Uh, two other re French restaurants that opened in the 60s had a determinant role on the development of that time of fancy and creative French cuisine. One which I would say is maybe the, the god of uh, French sophisticated and new cuisine was uh, Jovan Trebaevich, who opened his first restaurant in 1967 on Euron under the name of Jovan. He was the pioneer of uh, the French Nouvelle Cuisine uh, in Chicago and brought himself, he bought himself uh, fresh products at the market every day. Uh, Jovan, who by the way was a good friend of mine, uh, was, was a Yugoslav immigrant, but who has uh, been educated in Lausanne, Switzerland, in a cooking school and uh, he was incredibly knowledgeable of anything uh, French in terms of uh, food and wine, etc. For those who don't remember what Nouvelle Cuisine was, uh, the, uh, the way to summarize it is that uh, you would uh, simplify, you would forget about heavy sauce. The sauce would be uh, not based on meat and starch, but they would be light, uh, based on broth. Uh, everything would be cooked much less than uh, uh, it is. Uh, it was at the time. Uh, people, all the chefs would would buy their own vegetables and fruits, and uh, and and meat, and select exactly what they wanted for their restaurants. Uh, the uh, portions were, uh, on the plate were very much smaller, which for the U.S. was something new. And the decoration was very important. The presentation on the plate was very important. Anyway, uh, there are many other things which define new cuisine, but it, it took about five years uh, when this, uh, this trend started with Jovan uh, uh, to develop really uh, and more among younger uh, restaurateurs uh, than with the tradition well, that one or two. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, I didn't mention it yet. So it was really, the, he was the pioneer of the dual cuisine in Chicago. Jean Banchet, uh, who was recruited by Ar uh, Arnie Morton to be an assistant chef at the Playboy Club, 
Uh, at one point, when he moved, he, he went to diff when he left the Playboy Club, he went to several places. He, uh, one of them was the, the Flying Frenchman. I don't know if you remember this place that he totally changed and, and made it good. And eventually, in '73, he launched his own very successful restaurant, Le, Le Français in Willing, as you know. I mentioned before all the pretend-to-be-French restaurants opened in the 60s by Ray Castro and Edison Dick, uh, besides Jack. Edison Dick was the heir of the photocopier uh, uh, machine, you know. And uh, he was more the manager and the financier when uh, Ray Castro was a former uh, busboy at the Pampum uh, was the uh, the genius uh, to uh, for for cooking and and uh, food uh, questions? Just mention some of those. Maybe some of you will remember those restaurants. They all disappear now. Maison Lafitte in the Churchill Hotel, uh, uh, La Maisonnette in Skokie, Les Puisettes on Goethe, uh, Café La Tour on East Randolph. Uh, in Lake Palm Tower, uh, Biggs, uh, which opened in 1954, when it was acquired and renovated by Rick Astor, Montpetit, Le Mignon on Rush, uh, La Coquille, those were the main restaurants of the uh, Rick Astor empire, if I could say so. No, none of them still exist today. By the same time, during the 60s, a few younger French restaurateurs and one, and one American, Burton Kalik, opened several good and successful bistros. And one of them was La Chaumière, opened in March 65 by René Martin on Diabon. Les Champs-Élysées, opened in June 67 by Jean-Claude Berger. Yovan, as I mentioned before, 67. L'Escargot, that many people loved, opened on Halstead Street in October 68 by Alan Tutzer and Lucien Berger, but it, it burned and moved eventually to the Alerton Hotel. Le Bordeaux, that I mentioned before. La Cheminée, that's the Burton Calic investment, but it was on the side that used to be La Chaumière and it remained with uh, French staff, French restaurants. L'Auberge uh, on uh, North Clark by, uh, and La Grenouille uh, in uh, Hyde Park. Uh, those were really authentic French restaurants of the 60s. Unfortunately, none of them survived. About 20 other French restaurants, more or less authentic, opened in the 60s you will find all of them mentioned on my blog. So to summarize this period, it was a period of uh, transition when uh, the real traditional French cuisine became more popular in Chicago. The highlight of the decade, of course, is the introduction by Jovan Trubojevich of a new contemporary approach uh, in the use of French ingredients, vegetables and fish, and lighter sauce. He was really the first restaurateur to launch what we call in France la cuisine du marché. Now, uh, let's uh, move to the period of 70 
79. I call that the fantastic decade because it's probably the period of 10 years where most of the greatest French restaurants ever in Chicago were opened. But only a few are still in operation in 2019. Uh, starting in, in the mid-70s, a uh, new cooking concept of the, what they call the Nouvelle Cuisine became serious competitor to traditional classic. At that time, we were not talking anymore about grande cuisine or haute cuisine, but classic. And also cuisine bourgeoise, which was just below, which uh, uh, be became the uh, cuisine that you find in uh, provincial uh, mom-and-pop-owned uh, uh, restaurants. And of course, the bistro French cuisine in Chicago was getting very flourishing. Uh, my search for interesting new restaurants included French one was greatly facilitated in 73 by the Chicago Guide book edited by Alan Kelson. I don't know if some of you have been uh, at that time reading this book, but it really helped me. Uh, during that time, I often travel to France on business, sometimes three or four times a year. And of course, I ate in many restaurants, both in Paris and in other cities, to visit companies. So it, it allowed me to study the evolution of the new trend in France of La Nouvelle Cuisine, which was created by Henri Go and Christian Milo, who had created a, a very uh, famous uh, restaurant guide. Uh, and uh, uh, see if, if you have the time, take uh, a look at my blog, the chapter three, to understand the main gears of this mini revolution that really involved new method of cooking. Um, as I said, it took some time to impose itself in Chicago, but the few Chicago restaurants adopted its principle in the mid-70s. The leader in this field, and I don't know if some of you remember that, uh, was without any doubt the Le Perroquet, which opened at 70 East Walton in 1972. In fact, I would say that uh, Johan Triborevich was the first restaurateur to bring and even improve the way of cooking and presenting food of La Nouvelle Cuisine of France in Chicago. Uh, in some ways, he played a role as important in the Midwest that Henri Soule did in New York in the late 40s when they had uh, the, uh, the restaurants uh, uh, after the, uh, after, 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 just before the war. Uh, I don't want to go too much in detail. Uh, no, I, Le Perroquet, I, 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 had, uh, I had so many meals there and uh, uh, I remember when I was sitting at, at the table on the south side of the room at Le Perroquet and facing the entrance of the restaurants where Jovan stood and managed everything from there. He, he, he would observe everything uh, with, and, and give directions 
to his staff with very minimal facial expression. He, it, it was incredible. It was a real show. Uh, it remind me of a of a music conductor, you know, because he, he was really a, he would do little sign and, and his eye would was explaining exactly what to do where there was a need. And immediately, somebody would rush to the table. <coughs> he had several good chefs from '75 to '84 when he sold the restaurant. Uh, to the Nespu brothers, who were the uh, maitre d' and the uh, sommelier. A few of the chefs to remember were Gabino Sotelino, who stayed six years there, uh, Karen Abedian, who became the uh, owner of those restaurants, and Clark, Michael Foley, uh, Michael Beck, and Alain Sayak, but there were some others. Um, now, let's talk about briefly the Veillé on Milwaukee Avenue in Wheeling, I'm talking about Le Français. Um, it was opened in 1973 when Jean Marché and Henri Coudrier uh, opened this uh, very charming restaurant. It was very well managed, by the way, by Doris Marché, uh, Jean, uh, uh, Jean's wife. And uh, it rapidly, it, it reached a very high level of recognition all over the country. Uh, there was a time, uh, I would say maybe five years after its beginning, that rich Texans would uh, fly on the nearby Pawaukee airport for dinner and leave after, <laughs> after dinner to go back to Texas. Uh, I, 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 was, I hope that they had a good pilot. Uh, okay. Uh, just to remind you, uh, uh, Le Francais uh, in the mid-80s was named Best Restaurant in America by Bon Appetit. Uh, Banchet had a very solid training background and he was very influenced by the, one of the best restaurants ever in France called La Pyramide in Vienne. At that time, uh, he was also a friend of Paul Bocuse and uh, I remember that uh, <coughs> Paul Bocuse, every time he came to the U.S., he would stop to have dinner and, and talk with his friend Jean Banchet. And uh, when uh, Paul Bocuse uh, celebrated his 70th birthday, he decided to do it at Le Francais. And uh, it's uh, three chefs from uh, Le Francais and other restaurants in Chicago who organized the dinner. Uh, and, in fact, the food of uh, Le Francais was a perfect balance mixed on, between the Nouvelle Cuisine and the Grande Cuisine Traditionnelle. Uh, again, there's a, a three-page story on Le Francais in my, on my blog. Four other, four other French restaurants left, a very important market in Chicago culinary landscape. <clears throat> One is Le Titi de Paris in Palatine. Pierre Paulin, the original chef, uh, loved <coughs> first quality product and he was a master in seafood preparation. La Fontaine, where I go, I went a lot on North Clark. It was a very elegant three dining room restaurants, uh, three, uh, yeah, three dining room restaurants under the uh, very common leaders. 
Jean-Claude Poilvet. He, unfortunately, he died two years ago. It was the epitome of the Queen classic with a touch of Nouvelle. Le Vichyssois in Lake Moore, uh, it looked like a French country inn. I, I don't know if you ever saw it, it was beautiful. Bernard Crottier, the chef owner, had a very, very serious training at a celebrated French restaurant like Trois Gros and Bocuse. And while he was the executive chef at Maxim's for six years. Le uh, Café Provençal, I don't know if some of you remember Leslie Rice, who was a great lady. Uh, she opened this restaurant in Evanston, but she had spent lots of time in French restaurant after training at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. And uh, she was again very influenced by the uh, nouvelle cuisine, and at the same time, uh, the cuisine bourgeoise. Les Nomades on East Ontario, which still exists, was the uh, Jovan Trebojevic pet project. In 78, he opened this, uh, it was a three-story old brick house. He always wanted to have his own bistro where he could serve the kind of traditional dishes that he loved so much. I'm talking about cassoulet or lapin, la moutre, rabbit in mustard sauce, something like this. And it was deliciously decorated by his wife, Maggie. Uh, but in the first years, you had to be a member. It was sort of a club. Uh, I know because I was one of the first members to have a, a club uh, to go there. And I, I loved those dinners and, and conversation with Yvonne. Uh, so, I, I don't want to kill you, so I was too much stuff. Uh, 1980, 1999, it's really a period of transition. Uh, I was thinking that uh, after the incredible creative and productive decade of the 17, the rhythm, you know, of creation of new French restaurant would show down in the 80s, especially uh, between 1980 and 1982 when American consumers got scared by a new double dip recession that encouraged them to tighten their eating out budget. Uh, besides, uh, I also thought that this ethnic food fad which had started to uh, uh, arrive in Chicago would diminish, the, would diminish the interest of Chicago diners for French cuisine. But I was completely wrong. The now deceased uh, sometimes uh, food critic, Pat Bruno, in uh, his introduction to the new Goemio Best of Chicago Guide, published in 1989, uh, wrote that the 1980 will go down in Chicago culinary history as the decade of dining delirium. And I counted, it's true, I was very surprised, there were almost more French restaurants created in the 80s than in the, <laughs> in the 70s. Uh, the problem is that the gourmet home uh, cooks, if I could say, got tired of cooking. Uh, by the, the end of uh, 1981, it started to rediscover the pleasure of going out to eat good food prepared by professionals. There was 35 
new French restaurant lounge in the 80s, and it was about the same as in the 70s. My only uh, re negative remembrance of that period was related about the fact that uh, many restaurants very poorly interpreted an executed version of the French Nouvelle Cuisine repertoire. Uh, because they would, they would improperly cook over their curates, mini portion, shishi dishes in big plates. Uh, and I was glad that uh, this trend saw an ending around eight, 1986. Um, it was also very comforting to notice that Chicago diners became much more sophisticated in their knowledge of French food and wines. In the early 80s, several good American sous chefs and chefs de partie who had been trained in French kitchen or in Chicago by French chefs started to work towards the creation of a new French-American style of cooking that would become a new trend in Chicago. This local style would continue until the new millennium. By, but some local chefs, such as Michael Foley, the one with the Prince's Row, uh, it's a restaurant that he launched in, in 1984, uh, who also got some very good training in some French restaurants, were in fact adapting their technique to the principle of what has been called the American cooking movement, sometimes also called progressive American cuisine. That movement that started in the mid-70s was often mixing contemporary American cooking techniques using regionally grown produces, meat, poultry, eggs, and fruits with classic French cuisine tradition. Uh, just to mention then, again, you will find full description of them in my blog. Some of the good French restaurants which marked the 80s, Ambria, L'Escargot, Froggies, Carlos. Carlos was a fantastic place. Jackie's, Les Plumes, Everstrom, Le Prince. Le Prince lasted, lasted just a few months. It's too bad it could have been one of the best restaurants ever in Chicago. It was at the, at the, in the basement of the Swiss Hotel on Walker Drive. And uh, it was uh, the menu and the creation was supervised by Louis Outier, one of the best French uh, restaurateurs on the Riviera. And it was so good, but for some reason, they had totally miscalculated the type of client base they might attract and uh, the fact that people don't want to eat in the basement. And it was, it was beautiful, I mean, the, it was very spectacular. It's one of the best meals I ever had in Chicago. Uh, Montparnasse was also a good French restaurant in its early days. Uh, Okay, the last part is 1990-1999 and it marks the end of the Cuisine Classic dynasty and the confirmation of the Bistro supremacy. This, uh, during that period, uh, very few customers still wanted to spend a lot of money uh, in fancy establishments. Uh, 
uh, even in, especially in French haute cuisine, cuisine bourgeoise, bistro and brasserie, the, where the place where Chicago French food lovers found what they wanted, which was good casual dining, offering traditional but creative dishes and value. Uh, however, during the 1990s, there are new French restaurants who continue to open, both in the city and the suburbs. In fact, Zagat survey uh, published in the early 2000 listed 69 French restaurants in 1999 in the Chicago area, an increase of 50% over a 10 years period. But it's obvious that some of these so-called French restaurants uh, mentioned in that survey were not authentic example of what I call French cuisine. Uh, since you must be tired of listening to my, uh, I'm going to ab uh, abbreviate uh, what one thing also which helped a lot was uh, in 1995 the fact that there was a crea the creation of the French pastry school by Jackie Pfeiffer and uh, Sebastien Calon. It really brought something to Chicago that was respected all over the U.S. Uh, I finished out in the same. In the mid-1990s, a new generation of urban diners principally young professionals in their 30s, along with their wives and or dates, who were spending more money on sophisticated drinks and wine, started to go out more often to lunch or dine in restaurants that serve better and more trendy food. They also spent more time reading about them, and in that group of people, an interest for more diverse and exotic ethnic food and drinks started to develop. The traditional French cuisine was preferred by all the people more conventional in their eating habits and uh, who had traveled to France for uh, leisure or business and were nostalgic of their dining experience there. But it's becoming obvious that the decade was dominated by Italian cuisine. Uh, I will not tell, give you all the details, but what I observed about the Italian cuisine. Uh, a trend uh, which started to, to uh, uh, evolve in the uh, 90s was the trend of serving small dishes with a glass of good but inexpensive wine. It was very often found and appreciated in bistro with the French instruments in the loop and in, on the north side, uh, notably by people on their way to see a, a show. Uh, the, the, the decade was marked by two important factors. Customers wanted to feel more relaxed when eating in French restaurants and be able to have fun while eating. That's uh, the word fun, I insist on that because it's something which the French restaurants lacked for so many years, you know. It was good, but not necessarily fun. And uh, uh, they prefer, the type of French restaurant that they prefer could be classified as upscale casual. 
Therefore, the success of the bistro that we uh, more often call bistro in French, such as Kiki's Bistro or La Sardine. Another trend in French bistro was to offer small dishes that you would eat possibly at the bar with a glass of French uh, lesser known and cheaper house wine, which could come from Languedoc or the Loire Valley. Many bistro now uh, serve uh, lunch, which can be done in, in half an hour, uh, like with a croque monsieur and a salad, a salad niçoise, or a small steak fit with a glass of wine and a cup of espresso, or a lunch special for a tab really going over $20. You went to a more fancy restaurants, French restaurants at night for a special occasion, such as birthday dinner. Well, uh, I just will finish by mentioning just some good bistro and restaurants which uh, were born in the 90s. Le Bouchon, La Sardine, Kiki's Bistro, Marché, Rasrijo, Cyrano, Bistro Zeng, Aubrio, Savarin, Les Deux Gros, La Petite Folie in Hyde Park, and Chez Joël. Obviously, I did not visit in person all of the restaurants which I mentioned in my, in my uh, book. On my, it's not a book yet, I hope it will be. <laughs> uh, and magazine that I read. Uh, I have to thank all the food and restaurants critics, which uh, blah, 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 blah. I think I'm, I'm going to I'm going to apologize for my monocord uh, tone. Uh, I have a problem sometimes. After a while, I, I need to read something because I, I otherwise I, I lose the flow of what I want to say. <laughs> but it's annoying. Uh, I should have learned that by heart. But I think I'm too old for that. Anyway, that's it, folks. Yes, of course, uh, feel free to ask me any question you might have. Which restaurants do you recommend right now? I'm, I'm going to tell you something which is going to surprise you. I go less and less, and less to restaurants uh, for several reasons. Uh, first, because uh, of... Uh, Financial reason, it has been to to a full a full dinner in a good restaurant cost a fortune, and when you are retired on a fixed income, you know you you try to manage your budget a little bit uh, more strictly. Uh, also, it's because at my age, I I have to watch my my health, and I cannot eat many things that I used to love. <laughs> And uh, it might it could be frustrating to go to a restaurant and not be able to eat a few things that I love. But I go to those where I go regularly. I usually bistro like uh, Kiki's Bistro is probably the one I I go the most often to. Also because Josh Cuisance is a personal friend. But I've been going there for the days of Le Bordeaux, so. I, 
Uh, I'm a man of habits. Uh, and uh, in fact, you know, I, I, I live very close to Evanston in the northern part of the city. And uh, uh, sometimes it's, it's uh, a little bit cumbersome and expensive to come downtown uh, buy a parking. Uh, it, it, it re it's really too expensive sometimes to, to uh, I, I do that for occasionally, but no, no more than maybe four or five times a year. Uh, and the third reason is that I find out that very often I eat better at home. I mean, for much less, <laughs> less money. Uh, since my wife and I were good cook, I would say, and uh, we enjoyed taking the time to cook, drink white, red wine, and and talk. Uh, why not? Why? There seems to be a trend of uh, every French restaurant now has to have a sommelier. Do you think all these new young sommeliers to be very honest, relatively few of them. Uh, sommelier is a really difficult profession which requires studies, a diploma, and uh, there are phony diplomas for sommelier going around which allow them to get jobs. And I, I don't have a, I don't have a, a reason to be neg too negative, but that I, I've, I've been doing lots of wine tasting over the last 10 years, professional wine tasting. And I met people in, uh, in stores, for example, who claim to be so professional sommelier. And I asked a few questions, I could, I, they couldn't answer. So I have some doubts, but some of them are very good. I mean, in very good restaurants, you have real sommelier. But I think that there are probably maybe uh, 20 in the city of Chicago, which are really top-notch. I, I didn't, and I, I never used a sommelier in my life, so. Uh, uh, Thank you. I, I'm not, I'm maybe not very competent to answer you, because uh, when I look at the white list, I know exactly what I want. Hmm? You have a favorite dish that you cook at home? Oh, oh, oh. One would be uh, limited. Uh, for health, for diet, dieting reason, I eat lots of chicken. Good quality chicken, not industrial chicken. And you have no idea how many uh, kind of chicken I cook. Greek, Provençal, uh, uh, Szechuan, Vietnamese. Uh, I've been cooking chicken in so many ways. Uh, I, I wish I could cook rabbit because I, it's my favorite meat. But it's difficult to find rabbit nowadays. Uh, I, uh, I. <laughs> My, my son, I mean, my older son is 50, and uh, uh, when, I, when he comes to Chicago, 
he wants me to go to Polina Market to buy hot dogs. So, uh, and my youngest son, uh, who is 38, he loves my cooking. And he eats at our place every Sunday night. And he always calls to know what's going to be on the menu. <laughs> so it's two different approaches. <laughs> uh, and one of his favorite dish, you would never guess what it is. I, I do, uh, I, I have to say, I do a very good linguine uh, with shrimp. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the real shrimp, not the uh, farm raised, you know. With shrimp, garlic, olive oil, parsley, I mean the, the, the traditional, and uh, he would, he would, Beg me to do it once a month if I if he could, and he loved any kind of pasta that I do. What I do, I do a Provençal, a Provençal adaptation, my adaptation, in fact, of a, a bolognese sauce, and he he love it. But I have to say that I put about three quarters of a liter of wine in it. <laughs> But don't forget that when you cook with wine, the wine, the alcohol evaporates, you know. So uh, the, the taste is, is what is left. Uh, my wife, uh, she's a good pastry chef. And uh, in the summertime, we eat lots of homemade tomatoes, uh, tarts. And uh, Recently, over the last few weeks, we've been eating lots of apricot tarts because you can find fresh apricots from Chile, and it's quite good. And uh, we love tarts, but she's very good also with chocolate, uh, any kind of chocolate cookies, and so the, when the kids are here, and all the grand, grandchildren, when they are here, they eat enormous quantities <laughs> of... Uh, now, uh, what I cook at home, what I cook at home is most of the time, it's getting simpler and simpler. The older I get, the simpler I eat. Where do I shop? Oh, yeah. oh boy. Uh, well, I shop like many people at Trader Joe because there are, I found lots of things that I need there. I used to shop at Whole Foods, but I think I'm ready to say stop because it's a shame what it's becoming of, uh, since they've been acquired by those gangsters at Amazon. Uh, I, most of the place where I used to love to shop have disappeared. There were small places. I shop for uh, meat and chicken because they're good. I shop at Mariano's for a few things. Uh, in the summertime, it's, it's farmer's market for everything. And uh, in fact, I, I think that somebody laughed when I said that. I shop in about eight or nine different stores every week. I never buy anything frozen. I buy fresh every day. 
I, I love, in the summertime, I love do fresh things like salad niçoise, uh, when, uh, you know, with, with olives and salad, tomatoes, and, and uh, because you find good stuff in, at the market. And uh, we love to, to do uh, rice mixed with uh, cilantro and all kind of herbs and tomatoes and, and corn and uh, in uh, emulsified vinaigrette. I use olive oil. Uh, to give you an idea, my wife and I, the two of us, we use one full liter every two weeks. What bread? Hmm? What bread? Oh, we, we, we buy exclusively uh, Kanamata-based uh, Greek uh, olive oil. The one from Trader Joe is fantastic. I've been, I've been addicted to this oil for years now. And uh, it's very good, it's very affordable. It's nine eight ninety nine for a full liter. Uh, when you, I always check about dates. When you look at the dates in on the on the glass, you know you can see if it's fresh or not. An olive oil which is uh, too old, and in fact, an olive oil start to be old after seven months. To tell you the truth, but I try to always buy an olive oil which is about a year and a half old. That's still very good. I would never buy olive oil at Jewel, I can tell you. Uh, no, I, I, uh, I, for bread, we go to Benison in, in Evanston. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I think it was easier 15 years ago to shop because there are so many places which disappeared. They have been absorbed by larger groups or it's terrible the way it goes. Yes, ma'am. If you had to resurrect or visit one French restaurant for a last meal in Chicago, which one would you resurrect? Le Perroquet. And what would you order there? Hmm? And what would you order? Everything. <laughs> uh, no, I would, I would, uh, you know, it, it, the Ferroquet, for example, was the first restaurant in Chicago who had uh, who served bluefish, and was surprising. It, it, it was so good. I'm not a fish person, but but uh, no, it's it, it. But I didn't mention Le Nomad, which yeah, I mentioned, which is the cl the cl used to be the club of. Uh, Ivan Trivojevic, my my best birthday dinner with Atlenomai when he would do the type of dishes I ate when I was a kid, you know, uh, rabbit stew, uh, this kind of stuff, you know. No, there's there's one uh, there's one restaurant I miss a lot. Uh, it's Le Café Provençal in Evanston. It was very good. Well, I hope I didn't bore you too much. Thank you.